Hello and welcome to the Wealth Reliance Podcast. My name is Dave Deal. This is the podcast for the side cash hustler. If you want insights, real life experience from people just like you on how they started creating side income, you are in the right place. Documented experiences of people creating a few hundred dollars to extra tens of thousands of dollars a month. Make sure to subscribe and review. This means more than you know. Also, feel free to check us out at selfreliantwealth.com. Before we jump into the episode, let's take a minute to thank our sponsors. Are you tired of using 10 different platforms to manage your CRM, your Google My Business reviews, text campaigns, email campaigns, calendar invites, website builds? I was too. I used ClickFunnels, Kartra, Jotform, Calendly, you name it, I tried it. I came to the conclusion that I needed one software platform that could do all of this in one place. With Sluicebox, I was able to do all of this and more. Go check out sluicebox.io today to change your life and make it that much easier and that much more simple to manage all of your leads, all of your customers, and everybody in one spot. Sluicebox.io. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Self-Reliant Wealth Podcast. My name is Dave Deal. Our speaker today is somebody none other than Mr. Scott Carson. This gentleman is from Austin, Texas. He is an investor. He has his own podcast as well. He's grown it to millions of downloads, and his main focus is in real estate. But this isn't just your typical traditional real estate. He actually goes out and buys the notes, the underperforming notes from banks that they do not want anymore. So he is the man, the myth, the legend, the note buyer himself. Mr. Scott Carson, tell us how you're doing, man. Hey, Dave. Glad, glad to be here, buddy. Uh, doing well. It's a beautiful day here in Austin, Texas. Hook them horns. Uh, you know, or keep Austin weird, as they like to say here. It's the uh, stronghold for crazies in uh, most of the state of Texas. But anyway, doing wonderful. Glad to be here. And just... <laughs> Excited to serve your audience, your listeners out there, man. You're doing an awesome job with your podcast. So I love what you're doing, man. So here to serve and help. I love it, man. I really appreciate that. So, you know, as we jump in and get started here, tell us a little bit about you and what you've been working on the last little while. Yeah. So as you said, uh, Texas is home. I live here in Austin, but uh, grew up in South Texas, previous mortgage banker, mortgage broker, owned a mortgage company and got into real estate investing and starting really successfully in 2004. I think many people get started trying to wing it uh, from watching HGTV and flip this house uh, and all that crap. Started that in 2004, fell flat in my face, had to almost lost my house, got rid of a couple of investment properties where I paid too much, where the only person made money on it was a realtor, you know, that kind of story. But 2004, <laughs> a buddy of mine that I worked previously as a financial advisor with started a mortgage company that was working with just basically mostly real estate investors. They were traveling the, co- the country with a couple educators that were teaching creative financing, you know, owner financing, wrap around mortgages, subject twos. Um, and so I knew that was something that I want to do. So at that point I left Chase Bank as a mortgage banker and started this mortgage company. And for the, really the next four years, I had an apprenticeship in how to do real estate investing the right way. You know, how to find real deals that make sense that you can actually make money on not buying retail, not buying all the MLS, not having to put, you know, 20, 30% down. And that was just great. But then we all know what happened in 2008. And that was really a life-changing event for me when uh, 
the mortgage meltdown, the the, cri- the bank crisis, the, the Great Recession, you know, the subprime meltdown, because the music stopped basically overnight. And so I was lucky that uh, I started get, you know messing around in paper or buying debt, and I'll talk more about that in a second. But when everything hit the fan in 2008, that's what I did. I stopped originating mortgages and then started calling the banks and different lending institutions out there to see what kind of non-performing notes they had in their books, uh, or as we like to say, naughty borrowers, uh, bad boy borrowers who weren't paying on time or weren't paying at all, and started buying that debt. And for the last 13 years, that's all I focused on, bought over a billion dollars in debt on residential and commercial properties. Uh, my biggest goal is I'm, I'm the banker now. I'm not really trying to be a, a, a fix and flipper or a landlord. If I have to take a property back, I'm really unhappy about it. Um, I don't like rehabs. I definitely don't like toilet tenants and trash outs. So what I focus on is buying debt that I can either A, keep the borrower in and get them back on track to payment, paying, or if they won't work with us, then we'll try to you know buy them, buy them off or cash for keys and let them walk. If that doesn't work, then we'll foreclose and take the property back and sell it as an REO and move on. So um, what I'm doing right now, man, I'll tell you right now, it is a crazy world out there with everything, with the mortgage... <laughs> You know, people not paying their mortgages and forbearance agreements and people laying off of work. So I've been very busy here, really going back to the middle of last year in really um, talking with banks and, and institutions out there. My phone's ringing off the hook uh, from bankers and uh, lenders who've got debt on their books that the borrowers haven't paid in six months or a year or more looking to sell. So that's kind of what I do, man. I, I buy debt. I, I can be a borrower's knight in shining armor, you know, on a white horse ride and try to help them stay in their house. But I can also be their worst enemy if they don't want to work with us. So um, that's a little bit about me. Yeah, we got the podcast, yeah. but most importantly, it's it's the, the, the United States is on sale, baby. And most of the stuff that you're thinking that's going to happen. All right. With people thinking there's going to be this foreclosure wave in parts of the country, there will be but for the most part, all that non-performing debt is going to get bought up by guys like me or big Wall Street guys. And we'll work it out with a homeowner and, and there'll be some foreclosures, but there won't be the dramatic numbers like there was uh, 13 years ago. So really just been busy kind of prepping for that. I love it, man. So going back to this, you know, I mean, you mentioned your story. I think a couple of things that I love bringing up, um, you know, with different people on the show is one, you it's a journey, right? It's a process. It happened over years. It wasn't an overnight thing. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that. And then the second part to that, you know, I think a lot of people that I talk to, especially when it comes to real estate, there's so many different aspects that you can go and different strategies you can go. You can go. Was there anything major that stuck out to you and helped you choose the decision to go into notes? And, you know, what did that look like? Yeah. So what was that first question again? I, I can tell you the story, you know, how I got started basically, or for the most part. Um, the big, I guess. Yeah. The so the first question. Um, yep. Yep. So I done rehabs. I've done rentals here in Austin and, and did it was okay with it. Um, you know, we made money. The, the biggest thing I look at is I, I like to travel, but I like to travel for fun. And I, I know many investors out there, they, they like to want, they say they want to get their hands dirty. And honestly, you really don't want to get your hands dirty. The more you can delegate, the best. I don't think anybody gets into real estate investing to leave one job to create another job where they're working less per hour in a lot of cases. You know what I mean? Or having to drop thousands of dollars in marketing. Yep. So some of the things that I liked about the note business 
is I can do this business from anywhere. I don't have to be in my town. Actually, I, I rarely buy anything here in Austin, Texas. Most of the stuff I buy is hundreds, if not thousands of miles away. Like, my, like I closed on a condo in Miami Beach yesterday, another one in, in Cutler Bay, a $700,000 house in Cutler Bay, Miami, that we picked up the note for 441 that's going to foreclosure next month, you know? We'll make like 289 on that deal and we'll never put a dime into the rehab or thing. We'll just finish the legal process and take the property back or sell at the auction. Uh, but for a lot of people, I think it's all about looking at your budget and being budget mindset. So that's what I liked about the note business originally when I, when I really got into it 2008. I didn't have the budget for dropping postcards or door knockers or yellow letters, you know, hello, my wife, Carrie, and I would like to talk about buying your house at such and such a street like many people do. And the foreclosure market was pretty competitive. I would walk into houses where people have 40, 50, 100 postcards that they'd gotten from other investors. So the note business was nice because as long as I had LinkedIn and in a phone and email and a couple other websites, I could pull information basically for free and I could just dial for dollars, almost like Boiler Room or the Pursuit of Happiness, of just cranking out and calling bankers to see what they had in their books. And then they wouldn't just send me one asset. You know, that's what I liked also. The second thing was that banks, that when I, when I make a contact with them, it's continuous deal flow. And I might be one this month or once a quarter, but it's not just one deal. Sometimes it's a thousand. Like I got a tape in yesterday of 69 notes from a seller. Last month, I got 234 from them. The month before that was 12. Jeez. So it's rinse and repeat uh, without having to worry about a huge, you know, marketing budget. I got a buddy that, you know, does a lot of traditional, I guess you say, fix and flipping or wholesale and stuff in Houston. And he's dropping 15 grand a month if on a light month. He says his average acquisition cost is, is like roughly about 15 grand. And I'm like, oh, my acquisition cost is, what did my internet cost me this month for the most part? So that's nice. Mm -hmm. And the third thing that I like about notes is often that we're buying stuff a lot cheaper. We're not usually paying close to retail or at 70% or, or more. We're usually paying like 60% of as is value or less. Now, now, the thing to keep in mind with that is that we are taking over the loan. We are be, basically becoming the lender, but we have the same rights that the bank does. We can either finish the foreclosure, start the foreclosure, or try to work with the borrower to keep them in the house. So we, well, we're kind of taking on the nightmares of the banks, we've got a lot of flexibility because the fact we bought that debt at a big discount. And so instead of having to rely on equity, we kind of make our own equity with our discounts and buying the debt. So like, I think yeah, that sums so up that, your answer to your question. Makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, which brings me to the, the next question. I think this segues right in. When you got started, I mean, did you have your own fund that you were putting in? Did you go out and find other investors that like doing this? Like, what was your strategy when you got started? So that's a really good question, Dave. Uh, Dave. And then I didn't have my own money. So I was going from the mortgage business, was making good money, and I'd, I'd stocked a little bit of money away. But then I got divorced. And we know what happens when you go through the big D. You have to give half of it away, right? Um, and then I, had, I bought a couple uh, properties that were REOs that I thought I bought at good value. Like one was worth 300 that I picked up at 150. But then I proceeded to see 10 other foreclosures on the block and the value dropped like 10, 20 grand every time. And then I was upside down because I borrowed 30 grand oh, into a property for 180 that was now worth 150. That's not, not fun. <laughs> so I had to rely on OPM or other people's money. And the, the good thing that I did is 
while the years I was traveling, I collected business cards, you know, networking, going to other real estate clubs, just pressing the flesh and trying to make sure I connect with people because I'm brand new to it. And so I took every business card I had and put it into a database with their first name, last name, email, where I met them at, and then really city state. I wasn't going to mail them anything, so I didn't really pay attention to their address, but city state, and then any other notes. And so as I started seeing some of these deals, I would send an email out to them. You know, I'd send out, this was before MailChimp. I had, you know, like 50 at a time through my Gmail account until they shut it down for a little while. I'd, and I, people would be excited because I would say, okay, you're picking up a deal like this, but what's, what do you mean you're buying the note? All right, what does that mean you're buying the note? Can you educate? And people just aren't familiar with that side of the real estate business. It's not really, I mean, it's yeah. hot now. There's a lot yeah. of people out there teaching the note business, which we're pretty proud of that a lot of them are our students learn from us. But um, so that's what I did. I started actually just doing case study videos. I would, uh, put, it was either my Blackberry or I had a, one of those Dell flip cameras back in the day. And I would just talk about a case study that I'm working Hey, I'm working on this apartment complex note deal in San Diego. It's a uh, praise value at 700. Six out of the eight units are uh, occupied. The borrower owes like 600 on it. The bank capital one is willing to sell it to me for 375. I'd let this thing go for 415, which would still be a pretty good cap rate to you. So just kind of breaking down deals. And that finally got people say, yep. wow, you picked that up for that. Or you picked that up for that. Can I just write you a check or partner with you on the deal? And I'm like, hmm, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's what yeah, I just started. Sure. I would sell some deals to make some quick cash, or I would, uh, you know, partner with somebody up, or I would just flip it, you know, to somebody else. I'd buy it really fast and flip it to somebody else. So I was just wheeling, dealing back then, whatever I needed to do to make capital and what would close the quickest a lot of times. I mean, I had some. Deals I'd make 500 bucks because they were just junk. And then others that were really nice, I'd make 35 grand or 50 grand or even 100 grand on a wholesale fee, you know, that I was buying the note directly from the bank and I just assigned the contract to somebody to take it over after 30 days. And so just, you just got to get the word out where you're doing. I think it's more relevant these days. You and I were talking beforehand. I think everybody gets into real estate thinking they're going to be like the next, you know, uh, you know, next star property brothers, you know, they like picking up paint and carpet and, you know, whatever that is. And that's, that's the worst thing you can do. You have to realize as investors, we're not just in real estate or notes or fix or flips or rentals. These days we're all in the media space. You've got to share what you're doing publicly to get the word out, whether it's posting to social media, doing a podcast like Dave is rocking out here, um, YouTube videos, Whatever it might be, you've just got to stand out from the audience. And fortunately, if you are going to do that, you're going to be in that rare air of really 5 to 10% of people that are actually doing anything. And that's going to help people be attracted to you if you're consistent and be, uh, if you're just yourself. Don't try to be Gary Vaynerchuk or somebody else. Just be yourself out there and share the journey. People love stories. They love that rags to riches, seeing you struggle you know, and, and seeing you just be a normal guy or gal out there who's just, hey, just just like them, just trying to slap a couple of nickels together. Yep. No, I love it, man. You, you bring up some amazing points, right? And I think we are changing the dynamics so much and what marketing means and what putting ourselves out there means. And there are so many mediums to do it now, just, just like you mentioned. Um so when you started out and you, you know, you talked about these times when you were just hustling to get by, did you 
have the vision or the bigger picture of what you are doing today? I mean, you've built an amazing business, uh, you know, as you've shared with us, but could you see that vision before? Or was it just like, okay, I'm in the grind and I'm just going? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big pro- proponent of goals and having goals and what you want to accomplish. I mean, did I think I would be at the point where I've closed on over a billion dollars in debt? No. I mean, I, yeah, I was happy making six figures initially. How can I get to six figures? You know, and I did that in my second year, really in 2000, I started basically 2009, I had six figures for the first time. I remember looking at my tax return. I'm like, wow, I made six, I made six figures this year. That's, that's pretty awesome. You know, and it was the year after I got divorced. So I was like, yay, you know, in your face, X. <laughs> no, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, yeah. I was just looking at the time. There was so much bad debt back in this time frame. I was just trying to slap like spaghetti against the wall, see what would stick. My biggest regret, I'll tell you this, thinking back now, is that I didn't buy more. I mean, there was times, like I got, I, I, like I got a list of assets from uh, Wells Fargo Financial back in the day when they were, they're like Wells Fargo subprime lender that should be on like neighborhoods, your uh, your corner subprime lender, and I got a portfolio of their stuff that was like. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't like class A. It wasn't even class B. It was more like C or D stuff, but they were selling it for like a nickel. I mean, I could, I bought a bunch of that stuff with like a debit card over the phone. You know, like I would, like I bought a note on a property in Detroit, Michigan. I paid 500 bucks for it and I flipped it for scrap metal the next day for 1500 bucks. Okay. Just ridiculous. I bought a, uh, a note on an eight plex and uh, outside of Charlotte, for like eight grand, it was ridiculous. It wasn't in a good condition, but turned out it was a working brothel, you know, just weird stuff. But I flipped that and made 30 grand on a flip to somebody locally. Yeah, the lady was like literally, we wondered why it was running up, but it was cash flowing, baby. <laughs> you know, that kind of, you was, I was, and I would get bogged down. Okay, what's in my account? And like many investors do, like I can only offer what's in my account because otherwise, you know, I can't fund, I can't fund the deal. And, when I made that mindset, like, hey, these are deals. People are really interested. If I just got to share what I'm working on, I can buy some time. And the true philosophy that, you know, good deals will find money if you just open your mouth and market. Uh, it's not like that. It's not like Field of Dreams with Kevin Costner. If you find it, they will come. No, you're not going to have investors just showing up out of the blue ready to fund your deal. Not knowing you've got to market it to get people to show up because, Ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of people out there, a lot of private money and IRA accounts or 401ks or money just sitting on the sidelines making nothing that would love to make four, six, eight percent not and just have to write you a check on a deal that you're picking up well below value. You've got some experience or if you don't have experience, you offset that by having phenomenal teams or vendors to help you take that down. And if you're brand new struggling with that. Don't, you don't, don't ever, don't lie to yourself. Say, I need a proof concept. Oh, I hate that. When somebody says that I got to go buy a deal with my own money first to prove concept. Well, the concept works with or without you. Okay. It works. It's just that you have to prove it to yourself, not to anybody else. I mean, you don't see realtors out there that, Hey, I got to go sell my house to prove that I'm a realtor. You know, I got to go do my own mortgage to prove I'm a mortgage broker. That doesn't make any sense. You know, I'm going to go trash my house so I can prepare to be a fix and flipper. It doesn't make any sense. And, uh, you know, surround yourself with local people, go to your local RIA clubs, meet people there, find out people that are actually doing deals and what you want to focus on. Um, get educated. That was always one of the biggest things of getting educated and figure things out initially. Cause I was like, okay, this is kind of a new facet. 
I, you know, I did, I did, I'd call people, I called some of the most successful people in my niche and they were all willing to take time with me and kind of hold my hand through some deals. And I think that's an important thing. Uh, most of the successful people in the field really do want you to succeed because they don't want to see you make mistakes. Um, it's those that don't, aren't doing the deals that have or haven't done a deal in two years or three years that you have to be careful of because they haven't pulled the trigger and, and markets change faster than a year or two. So just be, I guess that's, I guess that's my round of way, about way of answering that question as well, Dave. <laughs> no, it's a great question, right? And it just goes again to show the power of a network. Uh, somebody, you know, one of my mentors once told me, he said, your net worth is directly tied to your network. And if you're continuing to surround yourself with high quality, high caliber people, then you're going to continue to grow. You're going to continue to level up and you don't have to know it all, right? You can partner with people that do have skill sets and that's the power of a team and leveraging other people's skill sets. And it can take you to levels you never thought possible. You just have to do the work and just keep going, keep moving forward. And, and that's the work is, is, is just, is basically keep communicating, keep sharing what's going on there. I mean, you look at everything that's being thrown our way with distractions and all the, the hate and the doom and gloom on media and TV is just a time suck. You know, people just, there's a lot of negative people out there that have nothing better to do versus just to tear you down. So yeah, your network, like you said, yeah, you're the average of the five people that you hang around the most with. You know, if you want to up, up your income, hang out with better people. Um, if your buddies have a beer budget and burping mindset, that's what you'll end up with versus a champagne and caviar lifestyle you know you just gotta gotta surround yourself with good people go, go find and, and the beautiful thing we still live in the best country when it comes to information and be, being able to do amazing things and so if you've everybody goes through a bit of a rough patch and there's been a lot of people out there that have lost their jobs or gotten sick or divorced or been through things especially the last you know 12 plus months that's great you've got a thicker skin now Go out and do something. If you're just going to sit and wallow in it, then you deserve this lack of success. But if you're, if you're, if you're in the words of uh, Les Brown, you gotta be hungry. Gotta be hungry out there. If you're hungry, <laughs> go find some people to hang out with that will that are also hungry and motivated. And if you're struggling, they'll help strive you and help hold you accountable to what your dreams and what you can accomplish. No, I love it, man. And so. You know, we're kind of coming to the to the end of the episode here, but I wanted to, you know, you mentioned that you have some education stuff that you do, and then also your podcast. Um, what what are those, and how can people find those? Yeah, so I am the host of the uh, the Note Closers Show, which is basically focused on my niche of distressed note investing. We talk about half of the episodes are me teaching a concept, and the other half are me interviewing people, vendors, investors not only in the note in real estate investing space, but also business and entrepreneurship and a little bit of mindset with a little bit of humor mixed in with it too. So check it out, the note closer show, but um, yeah, I've been teaching note investing since 2010 investors. It was a educator of the year a couple of times. Uh, I love teaching people this. It's such a, a unique niche that you can do part-time when you, if you're working and you got five to 10 hours a week. Hey, this is something you can do starting off with without having a lot, a huge budget for, for marketing. So um, and we teach a, uh, every month we teach a one day teaser class, we kind of call it, or it's our dip your toe in the water cliff notes to note investing, kind of learn the basics. It's called Note Weekend. If you go to noteweekend.com and use the code David, uh, you will get it comp in for free. It's usually 49 bucks. It's got uh, about eight hours of video and it's a live class we teach every third Saturday. 
with another thousand dollars in bonuses and some other videos and stuff. But yeah, noteweekend.com. Discount code is David, and you'll get that $49 class Compton for free and, and be off and running and learn a little bit about note business. Awesome, man. Um, and then if they want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? I am one Scott Carson on just about every social media. Thank God there's really only one of me. God made us all unique. And if I'm by <laughs> one Scott Carson, um, there is a very attractive uh, English soccer player goalie. That is not me. Okay. So if you do buy the I love Scott Carson t-shirts out there, thank you. But I don't get any of that. But no, uh, you can go to our main website, weclosenotes.com. That's the main mothership where everything is there about our training, our podcast, and all the other good stuff that we have on there. So we close notes.com or you can find me on any social at one Scott Carson. Awesome. Okay. And in closing, we've got one of the best questions that I love the most. And I end this with every episode and I'd love to get your, your take on it as well. Uh, but if you were given one day to live, what would be the legacy or wisdom that you would leave behind with friends, family, clients, whatever the case is? So are you a Nickelback fan? I have to ask that because it sounds like in the background we should have if, if today oh, was sure. your last Absolutely. day. <laughs> Play in the background. Here's Absolutely, the man. Taking it back. You know what? Come on now. I, I figured that we should have that playing if, if Sony doesn't get mad for copyright. But anyway, um, if today was my last day, what I would do is I would just – I would throw the biggest freaking bash out there. I would celebrate my life. You can't go back and fix things. I would invite everybody, my friends, my family, my neighbors, even my enemies. You know, we've all got people out there that like us and also people that are just going to throw stones at you. I would invite them. It's like the laugh. He who laughs last, laughs best, you know, and, you know, I would just, yeah. I would leave a legacy that way and, and it's just sharing, um, you know, just having fun and what we're passionate about working with animals and then also helping the homeless and other things in the military too. So, um, you know, whatever we have left, we donate that. But here, here's the one thing, if you ever get a chance and a, a book to read or a video to go watch right now is, is something called the last lecture. And it's a, a book written by a guy named Randy Posh. And if you get a chance, it's about an hour long video where he talks about his life and how he under, he found out, that he was dying from pancreatic cancer. And it is a tearjerker. You will end up crying. It's a little fuzzy video from a few years ago, but go buy the book. And it just talks about what he's leaving. And, and he lived his last two years so fruitful, even though he had thought he only have six months to live. Wrote a bestseller, started a movement. And I, that's what I think of. A big party, big cake. Let's all have fun. Let's you know have a beer or two and celebrate life. Because that's, my, my dad passed away about, golly, going about 20 years ago now. And my dad left within me, you know, the vision that, listen, hey, you can't take things with it. You got to stop and smell the roses. You got to have fun. And life is all about making memories. And he who enjoys life, it doesn't matter what's in your bank account. If you've got five grand coming in and you're able to live the life that you want, you're rich. Whether it's those that need to make $5 million and are unhappy and ugly people, look, wealth and success is defined in everybody's own terms. You know, I think of the movie, The Gambler with John Goodman. And can I, can I cuss on here? Is it all right to cuss in your, your podcast? Uh, for the movie, sure. The Gambler, John, John Goodman says, <laughs> he's talking to Mark Wahlberg, the gambler. He says, listen, what you need is you need to have your house paid off and two million in the bank. That's fuck you money. 
you can't take my house and I got enough money if I just want to sit in squalor in my house like Howard Hughes and pissing in a milk jugs, I can do that. All right. Whatever that number is to you, like I said, five grand, 10 grand. Hey, I'll give you a grand a month. If you're enjoying what you're doing, you're technically rich and enjoy that. There's a lot of people that are chasing numbers and chasing a big goal and they're never happy with anything. That's no way to live. Enjoy your life. Tell your family that you love them. You know, even life is too short to hold grudges. Um, you know, even your, your enemies out there, look, just send them an email and say, hey, I, I forgive you. That will drive them bonkers, okay? Just, I forgive you. I wish you the best of luck. It will drive them bonkers. They will think you're crazy, and that's fine. They'll spend more time thinking about that than on their own success. And it is, it's not worth it. In my office, one of the things that we do, I think it's made us healthy. We only have like a 30-second gripe session. If something goes wrong, if you go south, I try to only limit 30 seconds of something going bad and moving on. We might, I might vent, peel the paint for 30 seconds, but after that, it's all about moving on. How can we get this thing to work and, and go from there? So that's what I would do. Throw a big party, have fun, invite everybody, come have a beer on me because it's, you know, why have enemies when we can have friends? I love it, man. I love it. Sound wisdom, sound advice. This has been an absolutely amazing episode. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a very busy guy and you have a lot on your plate as well, but uh, I, you know, I appreciate this episode and I know our listeners will as well. So everybody out there, uh, this has been Scott Carson and uh, check him out. All of the info that he shared will be in the show notes. Um, so feel free to check there. And as always, infuse hope to those in need by teaching correct principles that lead to result-driven action. Take care and have a great day. Are you ready to learn how you can take your life and your business to the next level? Learn how you can create side income and have different assets pay for your life and your lifestyle? Tune in next week to the Wealth Reliance Podcast. This is Dave Deal signing out. Thank you so much and have a great week.